Hey, Christina. Good morning. Oh, let's start right now. It's recording. Wonderful. It's good to hear your voice. Yeah, you too. I'm so glad we had an opportunity to make time today. So right now, I, um, I wanted to welcome everybody listening in to Indigenously Speaking. I am your host, Anna Rondon. I am Dene, and today we have a special guest named Christina Tom Chi Morris, and she is a Dene woman, and we are very excited to hear her story on her journey in 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 this time of um, uh, trying to find healing and uh, reconnection and forward thinking as we uh, journey through through these times. Um, of what the world is experiencing. And many of us indigenous women have had um, various influences in our lives. And we're gonna hear today about a very unique story um, in the world that to my knowledge, hasn't been told from the daughter of um, Tom Chi. And, and so, this morning, we have this great opportunity to learn the life experiences of um, Christina this morning. So with that, Christina, <clears throat> go ahead and introduce yourself and um, we'll get into the conversation as it flows. Thank you. Good. Um, thank you, Anna. I am first, let me just express that I'm very honored and privileged to be your guest today and what a um just my full my heart is full um, my and I just want to make sure that your listeners understand that this is not I'm not the daughter of Tom Chi my father is um surname is Tom Chi and um, so that is James and Marie Tom Chi. And um, my dad is originally from Red Valley. My mom is from Tisnesmas. I reside here in Farmington and live here. I work in public health with the New Mexico Department of Health in the public health division in the realm of health promotion. And I serve the Northwest region, um, mostly San Juan County. Great, wonderful. And you mentioned that in our visits that we've had that you were really influenced by um, the peyote medicine and the different ceremonies and also the, the historic time <clears throat> that your father and others had, bring, had brought the, the medicine to uh, the, the tribal council and and maneuvering to get different uh, laws passed, and that was very historic. Um, and there's a lot of controversy over over the medicine of peyote, but <clears throat> it came here for a reason. Um, could you explain a little bit on on your childhood and 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 what that felt like that experience of of um 
being within that realm of spiritual justice? Sure. You know, in my childhood, um, my childhood memories really made me aware that peyote was an herb, is an herb. I, I learned that early on that this, and it, I felt the sense of belonging, togetherness, security, the sense mm-hmm. of, um, it taught me early on about the value of work and connected to um, learning and being together and being communal. Mm-hmm. That sitting in a circle was about this experience of being connected to something larger than us, larger than our own individual minds and complexities and just the youth of growing up. And so as I entered my adolescent, my adolescence, and then what would they call in the new adolescence from now from 10 to 25 years of age, I, it, my, my experiences continued to shape me to address our uniqueness and in about who we are, our identity, and recognizing um, balance and how, mm-hmm. as a woman, my mom and other women in circle would hold special places, and you know, and recognizing the elements early on of as a child that there's elements of mother earth or connected to water, air, soil, fire. And, and as I think, as as I grew up, I recognized that you have to have endurance. You know, it it taught me the endurance to stay up all night, to be in your own thoughts and having this connection um, the knowing and thought that this light of faith and understanding that the presence of higher and understanding the self, a place to quiet the mind, the spirit, uniform that your soul and to recenter. And, and then external from that, it's just understanding that there was always structure, like in Navajo religion, there's structure and there's you know, their structures and songs and the way it has to be sang correctly. And in in the peyote way, it it's more about your emotions. And those emotions are connected to your to the spirit. And so I think it helped me to recognize there's always balance. Mm-hmm. Balance within ourselves. Um, a place to 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 um, to fulfill areas where you don't 
feel centered anymore where you 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 get you you can come you can go to to overcome stress to give reverence to your faith and support one another um supporting the the person affected and so those are those are really early memories i have and and i never really i never saw the process the proselytizing of it the idea that they're they're there to convert people or to attempt to convert like recruit people it was about family it it really was about family and and that it was an herb that i have always known it to be used in its natural form right so i i never saw it as something that it, and I never knew at that time when I was young that there was all this, um, the suppression that would, that and the historical suppression that create that, that um, began in, in those early years in the 30s and 40s and even up into the 60s and 80s. Yeah, it seemed like it was <clears throat> over a hundred years of having um, fighting for the right to use the medicine and different uh, indigenous communities would have to hide and having their ceremonies. And the interesting part um, that you mentioned is, you know, the work, work ethic. And I remember this one roadman named John Harry shirt, he said, you know, when you're sitting in here, you know, with all these different elements and you can't hide and you have to be honest when you're sitting in front of this fireplace and the medicine. And he always instilled, um, Always do what you say you're going to do because your word is the only thing that you have. And I, that always stuck with me. Um, and, and, and so having that type of uh, um, teaching and it, it just seems that the peyote has uh, even cultivated that teaching of work ethics. Um, and that's really interesting that, that you mentioned that. Um, yes, I, like- I believe that the central tenets of, like you, like you said, the honesty brings the integrity. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad taught us, I think bridged us to live, still to be connected to our traditional ways, but still to live to, to know how to move inside this world and outside of it so to speak meaning the westernized way of living and you mentioned you 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 spoke you spoke of about the early on about the the history of the native american church and i um and i think it's important ways to to recognize that the challenges of today is that 
the Native American church and the history and where it came from, the way my dad was very much involved. My dad became president, James Tom Chi became became president in 1984. But his, but prior to that, he had his history, his story didn't manifest from there. It, It started, you know, he, 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 it started way before them. His dad was Hatati, Tom Nakaichi. Mm-hmm. And his early remembrances of, of, of him being introduced, so to speak, of Native American churches that his dad said, told him that he, he didn't want to be, um, he didn't believe in the Native American church. He didn't want to, but he, I think he pretty much exhausted everything and he felt like, well, if I'm going to go, then this is, well, it will take me. So they went to the Ute, the, the, the people of the Ute tribe where they performed ceremony for like two days. And he had all the swelling that wouldn't go away and, and, it, and it helped him. And he, he, it changed, I guess, him forever. And my father, my father was a product like many of our parents and grandparents of the boarding school, mm-hmm. my, both my mom and dad. And at, at the tender age of nine or 10, my dad was last parting words of his, his dad's, my Nelly said to him was to don't be like me. You go out and get your education you come back and help your people. Don't be like me where you're going to have to work on, use your labor, use your mind and go out and come back. And that set him on a journey to, to various boarding schools. I, I think he went through like four boarding schools. Wow. And um, he never talked about, my parents never talked about the boarding school when we asked them in our tweens to our early twenties and even thirties, they, they talked about the hardship, the, the difficulty, the, the discipline they learned and the education and how they, but they never talked about the trauma and they, they, and I think when, and, and I, I want to believe that my parents, you know, they, when they grew up, as they grew up, without a without a parent or without guidance, um, my dad had the guidance of his uncles who were part of the American church, and and he would come back from time to time. But he 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 believed in a in a that your faith, your spiritual faith, he needed that. Now they did attempt to join the Catholic church and my siblings grew up with that in their, in their childhood to their, um, around their, around their, around their tweens. And, but it was right around that time when my dad, we settled in Shiprock because he had journeyed from getting his education and he kept moving up and he became the superintendent of BIA schools. Anthony Anthony Lincoln had mm-hmm. um, 
appointed him pretty much and he started his his um his 33 year career and as a educator there a superintendent there and and his his that journey of going to catholic school or going to school but going to catholic religion they as and coming back home and being with relatives and knowing that there's a traditional side to our navajo way and he wanted they wanted to to know more they were it was almost like i guess a calling you know it, it's part of your identity and they had approached the catholic church and there and they were given an ultimatum to that you can't be both you have it was and you have to give that up essentially and they didn't that but with that ultimatum my dad never believed in things like that in ultimatums this or that mm -hmm. or white and so they chose their to go back to their traditional ways until they wanted to learn and so you know we have pictures of my, my sisters and my brother and they're all in their sunday dresses and oh and, and <laughs> very cute uh -huh. but i i grew up I, because i'm the baby <laughs> i grew up um going to name american church and that's why i always feel this sense of communal um very different maybe my my memories of 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 my childhood experience of feeling that that togetherness that security it taught me the values of that and so when my dad in his own journey and my mom of of boarding school and as they were educated you know, my my dad was interviewed by a magazine published in the spring um gosh i'm trying to it's called the mazo magazine uh-huh it was an in-depth um in-depth interview and i don't know how many volumes it just seemed like it was one volume but it was in the spring of 1986 he was interviewed and he tells he and he explained this to me as well and to us that i get um our history tells us because na the Native American church at the time, they didn't know what to call Native American church of Navajo land. Right. And it came from the Plains Indians and the Navajos were referred to and in English, they called it the American church. And so for a long time, they didn't have form information about how they came to call it a church. They did research. They found out there was a reason for calling it a church and yes. that the Indians were practicing ceremonies and they were being suppressed. They were being suppressed for doing the Sundance and the ghost dance back in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. And the federal government mainly, and also missionaries were trying to do the same to the peyote religion. An anthropologist, um, he remembers, he said by the name of James Mooney, in Oklahoma got together with some other tribes um, like Juana Parker with the Comanches and um, 
Alfred Wilson with the Cheyennes and other prominent leaders. So they were suggesting to call the religious organization a church since it's practiced by Native American, called it Native American church. That way when white people hear the word church, they would stop suppressing them. Right. Well, and and so to kind of moving forward during those times, um, the Navajo Tribal Council during the 30s, 40s, and the 50s, the tribal councils and missionaries on the Navajo Reservation didn't, they did the same thing that the federal government was doing as far as suppressing the religion. They, they said it was not Navajo way and it was a drug, it was a peyote, it's dangerous, so they tried to outlaw it. And somewhere, I guess, around the 40s, my dad was said, tell, told us that the Navajo Tribal Council did pass an ordinance, an anti-peyote ordinance, to, mm-hmm. to prohibit the use of peyote on the Navajo Reservation. And, the, and at that time, the national organization was called the American Church of North America. Frank Takes Gun, a Crow Indian from Montana, was the president. There were other tribal members um, but Frank Tanskins was the president, was not allowed to speak in behalf of the Navajos in, in the Navajo tribal councils. So because he um, wasn't recognized as a Navajo in that he had no authority. So he attempted to test um, um, that in Denver called James Oliver versus the Secretary of Interior, I, I believe. But, the, but what it came down to is the federal government stated that Navajo Tribal Council was within its rights, and so it continued. So, and, and then they learned from that the U.S. Constitution, the First Amendment really did not apply to Navajos either. So from about 1959, there began a movement on the reservation. It was somewhat considered an underground movement because the Navajo Tribal leader, leaders all the way down to the chapters, most of them were anti-peyote. Right, and they would not let chapter houses use um, let people use their chapter houses use um, or anywhere, and they so they began to meet formally and strategize as how they can get the the change to the anti peyote ordinance. Um, from sixty to nineteen sixty four, the police um, meetings took place, calling younger ones and. I, and he goes, I guess I was one of them at that time. Um, again, my dad was um, one of the very few 1% people who were getting educated in a higher education. And he was called on like people like James Nota, Robert Shorty, David S. Clark, Andrew P. And he mentions, and there's others. Um, and so they got started getting together to talk about how they can support this. Um, and I guess they got together and they were didn't have any formal education. So he started helping them out and planning and working out and paperwork, he says. And he said, by 1966, we got, they got the organization together and called it Native American Church of Navajo Land. Wow. And, that's what, and so one, and he said, one of the goals was to change the anti-peyote ordinance. And so as the movement was getting on its feet, more of the tribal members were elected to council. And in 66, um, there was an election and he had 
quite a few delegates who were members of the American church. And in the 67, they introduced the amended anti-peyote ordinance. Um, there was a struggle. Uh, apparently, after that, after the struggle with the tribal chairman then, Raymond Nakai, his approach was different. He wanted to introduce the Bill of Rights, the Navajo Bill of Rights. And one of the rights would be the freedom of a religion without mentioning peyote of course was objective. Uh, their objective was to make sure that the anti-ordinance changed. They didn't want to have it in there with the Bill of Rights because it could be used again. And so, um, so he, he, my dad talked about the way of suppression of peyote on reservation was that time was, and said that something had to be done. It, it was really bad. People were being, there was police brutality. People were being, women, people, women and children were being police paneled. And if they weren't um, all taken to a jail, they were locked up in their hogan. And it was really difficult. It came down to fist fights. Uh, they disrupted ceremonies. And it so, you know, when we talk about today in public health, that is a public health, would have been a public health issue. What we know now about health determinants and the social determinants of health and social and structural, that is a very um, a good example, historical example of how <coughs> what, what, what occurred on there is, is a health issue. Right. And I like how you bridge that from the past to now okay. of how it is you know, a social determinant of health. And that's really interesting. And I think looking back even further and looking at um, social determinants of health and through that lens would really help us, uh, I would think, um, learn from some of the questions that uh, we need to ask ourselves, um, the struggles of our uh, spirituality and how is that impacting us today um if we didn't have to fight for the freedom to to pray with and adapt and adopt um different medicines which i believe we always have done <clears throat> throughout you know thousands of years we always pick up what's good what's good medicine so um and who determines I, that who determines what it's a medicine and not? And well, my dad mentioned about other herbs were more powerful than peyote. He talked about hishji, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another one, chohijilie. I, 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 pardon me, I may be chopping that up, and I'm completely off. But, um, but it's it's it, it's it's fascinating how we that things were being determined for us and not by us, and it just and how much um, a westernized religion can just dominate and try to suppress one. And so they fought, though, in, by, by uniting with their um, the Native American Church of North America and Native American Church of Navajo Land and, and the, the journey from the 50s to the 60s um, to bring about the changes that needed to happen so people can have that freedom, that liberation. Right. To, to, 
to adopt this. And, and you know, many people say, well, Native American church is not a, is not from our people, our Navajo way. And, and that may, that is true, you know, as, as facts, as a factual point, that may be true, but it was, it was brought, it was brought here. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and I think about people who have been like my dad, who struggle from childhood, what we all know about ACEs, adult childhood experiences, mm -hmm. and the boarding school, and the trauma, the historical trauma, and the generational trauma. It was about survival. It was about overcoming stress. It was about coming um, away, not to, not to give you a lift, but people back in the 30s and 40s were experiencing extreme hardship, livestock, educational mm -hmm. formations, Indian educational policies that afflicted, continue to afflict our society today and how we can manage and, um, and manage systems. Mm -hmm. And so I think they... It, it helped them to overcome stress, right, to overcome exactly. the trauma, so they could push forth and, and, and draw strength from a, from a higher power. That's what they knew. And that's what my dad said. That's all we knew. Mm -hmm. Because when you, what, what is, if you don't have your own faith or spiritual guidance, what do you know? You know? And I think he, he drew from the, the, the faith and the spiritual guidance that gave him ultimately the, the, to the determination and the will to, and the desire to bridge our generation and move into from the industrial age to this technological age and He's a very much an unsung hero, like many unsung heroes I can think of, like Anthony P. Lincoln, Carl Togichi, and um, Robert Whitehorse Billy Jr. You know, these are uh, many. Herman, Herman Johnson. Oh, gosh, there's so many from that era who are not spoken about today. You know, that these are the unsung heroes who... who had to challenge processes mm -hmm. and 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 make make things right um you know my dad um he didn't want to be in he wasn't it wasn't like he 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 chose education over welding i was really surprised by that you know he but he said he he said that he, he wanted to finish school, and I'm not sorry I didn't go to welding. I felt if I were to be effective, I had to have some college training. I always felt that the way to help the Navajo people is by helping the young people, and this is through education. Mm -hmm. So I... Yeah, I really feel that. <clears throat> you know, the medicine, like you, you, you said, you know, came here and, you know, for a purpose during those um, really extreme times of struggle mm -hmm. and survival. Um, you know, they, that medicine, you know, probably gave them um, visions, um, mm -hmm. guidance, direction and comfort. 
So, you know, the, uh, the spiritual language, a lot of non-Indigenous peoples don't really understand. They do not, they think they know on the surface of what we share in general with, with the public, with the world, but to really understand the spiritual um, connections and mm -hmm. how um, the elements all work. <clears throat> One example is, you know, when we, when we bury our people, um, our relatives, um, it was, you know, in a blanket and they were put in a fetal position like they're going to be reborn when they get to the other side. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and through the natural disintegration, they go back into the earth. That is mm -hmm. the connection. Mm -hmm. So the earth is now holy around your land. Um, and then it's, it's just a cycle, a spiritual cycle that um, I just realized, I would say, you know, the past 15 years um, of learning that connection. But today, um, <clears throat> where do you see, how is the, what do you hear and what, what do you see about the current use of um, peyote among the people? Well, I, I believe like my dad, it's, it's not proselyte. We don't, they don't believe in proselytizing. I mean, that's what my dad believed. And that is, again, the idea that you're converting or attempt to convert and recruit. You know, it's, it's, you know, it is a choice, you know, you, it's my dad's choice is based, I think, in many ways, survival, mm -hmm. you know, and he needed strength draw from, he needed that connection, that spiritual connection that I don't think we can really, I, I guess that was just for him, it worked for him, and I think um, we have to find the, the path each person has to make has to identify that for himself but in in the world today we we got to protect that and I, I i go back to my dad's um history lessons basically that based on these um based on the history of of our government our real the relationship with our fed um, that the federal government was was based primarily on the uniqueness of Indians. There were some court cases like the state of Georgia versus Cherokee Nation that pretty much defined what a tribe is. And then there was another one with the Washington State versus Department of Interior on behalf of the Indians. There were over fishing rights and the opinion that stated the relationship maintained because of the quote unquote uniqueness. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess that startled some of them that the federal government will continue to have this trust relationship with Indians until such a time the Indians are assimilated into the mainstream American culture. <laughs> so I think yeah. that's what they ask themselves is what do they mean by this uniqueness? What makes us unique? Well, they meant they identified one of course is their language, our language. Mm -hmm. The other is our religion. The two makes the culture. If we lose that, which will happen whenever we get ourselves assimilated into the American culture. American culture 
we would lose our Navajo language, mm-hmm. which is happening now. Mm-hmm. We will no longer be unique. We will lose our native religion. We will no longer be unique mm-hmm. in his interview. And with the federal government, they'll say the Indians are no longer different. They're not unique. They have been assimilated into the mainstream of American culture. So when that happens, when we lose our trust relationship, we lose that. We will lose that government to government relationship, which means we will just be like anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just the government terminating us, but it's also us doing it to ourselves. Terminating ourselves and by forgetting our language. And it is alarming. We're moving pretty fast in this age we're living in is so fast that we haven't had a chance to slow down. And I I believe that going back in our ceremonies, it brings us, it slows us down. It makes us be more aware of ourselves and who we are. And, and, And it's a way of divulging the complications and the importance of where we are and of, of knowing back um, because that's what we've always had done. We always mm-hmm. sat in circle or we sat in our ways. And it, I, I, um, it's, we, I think it is important to maintain our, our culture. And, mm-hmm. and our relate our relate our religion our language and and my dad was asked how how do you how did it come here how did and he goes i don't really know he and he, he 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 he's honest in his interview that he goes i don't really know how it came here mm-hmm. and he discusses that he's and he just said, this is the way I was introduced to it. it from what I know, it came to the, to the people in the Ute Reservation. Through the Utes? Uh, Ute Reservation, yes. Ooh, yeah. And um, the northern part of Utah, like Anna, down to Tees. And, um, oh. and, so, and so his way he understood it, um, introduced to it was... It was uh, many times by his relationship to his cousins, his uncles. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, I, I think we're, we are combated too with the continued suppression, the ways of um, it continues to be suppressed. So I think it's always, that's why it's important to celebrate those triumphs we've had uh, uh, the tributes we hold to people like Woody Johnson and my dad, James Tomchi and, and many others who, mm-hmm. who, who embarked on ensuring that we have, that the anti-ordinance stayed that it persevered. And we need, and by honoring that we, honor those that created that and and um that's what I, that's what i would would say mm-hmm. 
<clears throat> we work with um, a lot of uh, young Dene uh, community members. Um, what would you recommend to young people today that um, that are not really have a family that nurtured them uh, or even have that strong um, spiritual foundation, what would you encourage them to do? That's a good question. You know, I grew up with both my parents. I mean, my parent. I grew, I was raised by both my parents there. Um, my parents lived, were married 63 years and um, and yet I hear, even then my dad, my dad is that product. He didn't have, he lost his mom when he was uh, nine years old. Mm -hmm. He left the reservation at 10. Um, he didn't wow. really have a mother. And so yet I, I think I would say to, to them, I guess what my dad said to me is that you don't, you, you always will have a family you know you you got to look to your cousins your 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 relatives someone you trust someone mm -hmm. who will who will give you advice and and i i think it's his way was to find your path whether what calls to you you know you the Native American church, um, I think definitely not just the church itself, but that the, the idea of love and hope, charity and faith is a calling that help, can help a person to identify with themselves. <clears throat> I think not growing up with a parent or you're growing up in during the, especially during these times as a adolescence is yeah youth, even under 25 is, it's completely different than I grew up in, and I'm in the beginning of the X generation mm -hmm. but there I think you, they can find balance to overcome stress mm -hmm. how to move in and out of the world by practice the ways we live them mm -hmm. not by and and I think it's reconnecting themselves to something bigger and that by then they can become self-reliant and they can push on and that they can because of that resiliency they have some they belong somewhere they always will my dad said mm -hmm. you're never alone when you're in an, in the circle, mm -hmm. in the, in the, in a peyote meeting, you're never alone. Or even even a ceremony, a Navajo religion ceremony that, like the hajong, mm -hmm. uh, you're never alone. And I think that's it's very important to remember that, mm -hmm. um, and that you're not in this, just you're alone in your body and your mind, but you have a a spiritual connection is that will keep you moving forward mm -hmm. and you know it 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 does 
it's a way to, and I, I guess I would encourage young yeah, adolescent youth to um, find where their sense of belonging is and find structure in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I think they can learn about the structure in their Navajo religion, even in the, in, in the, with the POD way too. Mm-hmm. And where there they can learn the value of work the value of balance and endurance, um, and 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 I think it's important too that they understand their history, that the history that was paved didn't come out of a vacuum. Right. Um, people had to work hard to have these things in place, and 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 so. Um, you know, young young kids have a lot to endear more than we you and I ever have, mm-hmm. maybe because we're in a technological <clears throat> way, as they say, we're in this glittering world. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yet I I believe that when children or young adolescents are given opportunities, my dad believed in that. He believed in opportunities, mm-hmm. and I I believe in that too. Not just opportunities for youth, but for people people mm-hmm. to do to for that again that self-determination to to protect and defend each other mm-hmm. and climate that enables every person to fulfill himself or herself to the utmost in his or her own way and to find their human potential it is by their own choice that's what my dad would say it is your choice mm-hmm. and that's the beauty of being young <clears throat> you get to choose you get to choose what you want and what mm-hmm. to do and but sometimes when we have a government that doesn't understand that a centralizing dominant government lessens the personal freedom for an individual and so one thing I think Native American church though has shifted and has pivoted is mm-hmm. that it's become political and my dad and I believe this too is because I never believed in um, in in um, making the church a, a political. He, he really avoided that. He avoided that as much as he could. Um, and so I, I think again, history is very important to learn their history. They have a library there in Winter Rock, you know, there's live, I mean, we're losing libraries. I mean, we're losing libraries. And and not to get everything, all your facts from social media, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that's, it's such a, it's so dangerous. Um, And especially for, um, you know, young impressionable minds is to go back to not just your grandmothers, but the elders, there's a lot of wisdom in our, in in our our leaders not just mm-hmm. the the current <laughs> leaders of today but le- the leaders of yesteryear mm-hmm. and to really how do they learn respect and i think that's where i learned respect was in the Native american churches you know you don't abuse that you know you don't mm-hmm. you don't mix things with it 
that you don't. And and I, I think that's what it taught me is to be a respectful person. And I, I encourage young youth to, yeah. to grow in, in the mindset that mm-hmm. things are not going to always be the way they are, but they do have choices and that's the beauty of it. Right. Right. And I think for, um, Moving forward, how <clears throat> can we ensure that we're not going to be more acculturated and assimilated? What do you feel is one or two ways that uh, we can uh, protect and harness who we are and and, and move forward in, in terms of um, knowing the truth of who we are? Uh, that's a deep question. <laughs> I, um, I, I think those kind of, that, that is a, a kind of question we could ask the community. Mm-hmm. And because we've become diverse even within ourselves and, you know, in a free in a free society, no idea or policy is worth Im- implementation without going through the test of discussion and analysis. That's what my dad would say mm-hmm. when he was running for council delegate, and you know he won, of course. But um, you know, there's so much to maintain our culture, our history again. I think it does go back to our language. I've been, every time I, I try to get a chance to learn more new words about, with Navajo yeah. and I'm and, and it's hard. I, I um, it, it must have been challenging, I think, you know, to, you know, today's parents are, are, are parents who are dealing with so much stress Mm -hmm. um, because they themselves have been products of trauma. And so, and sometimes they feel like they don't need, they don't know where to go. And we turn Mm -hmm. to westernized world of, you know, we talk about mental health, which serves its purpose, but there's a mental health um, aid that's in our own spiritual ceremonies. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> where all the wisdom is and when you find an atathli who takes the time to explain it to you and help you and guide you you recognize within your you learn more about yourself and you cultivate that I we you know that's where we come back to preserving and protecting cherishing and cultivating our land Mm-hmm. And um, so, what I hear you say, <clears throat> the two things that I hear you say is the language and the land. It's so in important. Our, yeah. In our, in our culture, our, our spiritual culture, right? Our, 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 our freedom to practice the way our spiritual ends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I read the article recently about the COVID impacting the 
where it kind of like we kind of the red hot spot, the red zone where it emanated from. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that I'm like, it, it was just really amazing to me how this 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 church was was getting the way they were recruiting people is by the way this, these people were uh, these these families were explaining their experience about how this COVID came and and they were they were all vying for this trophy so to speak mm-hmm. um, award. <clears throat> To, so they can, by recruiting more people, more people to come to their church. And, and the more you had, yeah. you deemed the winner. And I, that was shocking to me because that's what we don't do in our Native American church or, mm-hmm. or in, our, in our religious ceremonies. You know, we, we do call on our family to help us, but right. we don't. We don't put and incentivize it to where it's doing it. It, it doesn't. It, it's more of a. It's misleading, and mm-hmm. so I would. <clears throat> we have to bring that integrity back, and our fellowship, based on our compassion, understanding as a golden rule our fellow man through harmony dignity and respect and that's not easy to achieve these days mm-hmm. it's true very true so moving forward in in your work uh, i know you've been on the front lines uh with the COVID testing um what is how did you draw on your inner strength to to go out and be on the front lines in administering, um, <clears throat> you know, being there for the testing? Well, it's you know, um, I'm no longer. I had to take a back seat to that now, um, but I for like three months I was involved with the testing and and you know, there's preparing myself for you know educating myself <clears throat> educating from um a public health lens that this is not the a kind of virus and i and and reading a lot that the misinformation that was put out by navajo nation the way they termed the virus as i would talk with my and she goes it's not it's not that's not the, the that kind of virus because she even thought that when it was, when it when she read it, it was like mm-hmm. I was like explaining to her what, what that virus is, and she said, "Well, then that's not the way it shouldn't be explained that way." Um, that in Navajo, that's not the mm-hmm. right word. They they probably yeah. should, they need to change that, and so that's where we, you know, it's like I'm not sure how if it has, but in the public health realm, preparing myself is just drawing on the strength and the wisdom of my parents and the ceremonies mm-hmm. of that it's there. Mm-hmm. It's it's there, it's in you, it resides in you. It runs through your veins and your cells and it permeates every part of you. Mm-hmm. And that's protection, you know, that's 
that's there's beauty in that and I just I and and I like you said my dad would say that too your words and your thoughts and your words do are our weapons mm-hmm. and it took me a long time I think to recognize that but now we are here and we're we got to be mindful about our words and how we use them right right <clears throat> exactly yeah I'm lear- I've learned so much and still learning mm-hmm. and you know it's like picking up the pieces but from you know your your um grandfathers you know were medicine people so it it runs in your blood and I think that sharing these types of stories current stories but also looking like you said to to honor the people um to honor the past of the struggles and the sacrifices they did so that we can have peyote um and what are some of your lasting thoughts for um communities Navajo communities what do you see in your observation of 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 what are their opportunities and not necessarily the chapter houses but the community members what do you feel you could encourage them to do I think it's striving for harmony um, with that we need as we need each other mm-hmm. to address the concerns, problems, and issues of today, it, it's going to take all of us and more to do something about the problems. I, I think we're seeing so much today as it was then that much of our leaders, um, skill level, um, work then are the the programs and policies that work then don't work anymore but also there's there's problems there's new problems eminent problems that have always been there but we don't work in a participatory democracy mm-hmm. our demand calls for that a workable right. participatory democracy we want a political order close to the people to, to play a vital role and recognizing progress go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we're not doing this based on our own self-interest, but we do this in a, because the there's been so much chaos and suspicion and distress and, con- and continuous controversy that it's, it's, it's a signal that we're disconnected right and a a good leader doesn't necessarily mean all the initials after a name's person a person's name but a person who knows how to convene people together knows how to bring Mm -hmm. calm and not Mm -hmm. incite violence through um admonishing their community or um, dehumanizing their community or dominating their community mm-hmm. but right working with community and I think that's what I enjoy about what I do is 
as part mediator and part facilitator, part mm -hmm. um, resource person, network person, but it's someone who I can um, um, bring a different lens to that opens up other opportunities to invite more conversation mm -hmm. through, a, through a mode that connects people. And, and, but it's all within us. We all have that, that in us, mm -hmm. but it's how we do that. And, and are we willing to listen with open hearts and minds? And I think that's why I love the idea that my culture, which is, the, we all know mm -hmm. is the Hogan mm -hmm. is set on how we keep, keep that circle moving Mm -hmm. and not divide us. Wow, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful um, statement to end this interview. And I really appreciate your words. It's it, it was a great journey. Gosh, I went back to the 1930s and 1800s with you and <laughs> with Quantifier. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you for citing all those uh, uh, court cases those are really important and I think the young people would probably uh, appreciate you um, in providing those court case court cases because a lot of them a lot of our people don't know the history as you say but um, uh, for bringing your story and we hope to make this a collection and we'll launch our Indigenously Speaking series with um, 12 episodes <clears throat> of Indigenous women. And we'll be doing a launch on that. So this is the first uh, podcast. And I am so happy to have you on, Christina. Um, Shadeja, wow. sister. So as we move forward, I'll keep everyone updated on on how we move forward with these uh historical stories to share with the world with uh, that like, yeah hannah, hannah thank you so much i enjoyed this conversation it's my first blog ever really oh. i'm so grateful and to be on top of that to be your first guest i didn't mm -hmm. know i feel so honored and privileged thank you for having me for hearing me and um, I hope your listeners enjoyed and and feel inspired and and will take a deeper dive into their own world and our and our connection to each other. Right. Have a blessed day and journey and 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 Godspeed in your work. You inspire me always. Mm, thank you, Christina. You too. Have a beautiful day. Hagonet. Hagonet. Thank you, listeners. You just listened to Christina, a powerful Dene woman, and we will look forward to other interviews uh, with in Indigenous women from uh, around the Four Corners area. With that, have a great day and keep it Indigenous. Hagonet. <laughs>